This is MedHead Economics. We host a roundtable discussion with researchers, policymakers, and industry leaders to talk about behavioral economics and its broad application to current events and other points of interest. Today, we invited Cornell Dyson School's Dean Dr. Lynn Perry Walton with us for this special episode to talk about Dyson's new class admission, and we will have a brief discussion afterwards about diversity. I'm Elaine. Here with me is Yudong, our co-host. Hello. And the director of graduate studies at Dyson, Dr. David Just. Hello. <laughs> so, yesterday was very, very cool because yesterday was the last day for Cornell, uh, Cornell days for, for the Cornell days. Yeah, yeah incoming class. I'm sure admission also wrapped up for the graduate program. We're, we're getting close. Yeah, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> so that is a good observation that yesterday was the last day for Cornell days. We'll bring in a class of undergrads mm-hmm. at about 3,000. Oh, wow. And in the Dyson School, that will be 90 new freshmen. So we're excited and hope all of the students who were on campus will consider the Dyson School of Applied Economics and Management. Yeah, yeah. The reason we call it a special episode today is because both Udo and I will graduate. Yeah. And we're just <laughs> so excited to know who's coming like who's coming to the program <laughs> and that's like boom 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 like and most importantly who will continue this podcast you know who will, um I, I i feel like people who study at dyson all like have this passion about economics about um how they will apply uh skills that they learn at cornell to you know to the bigger world so yeah uh, not a brag, but Cornell is amazing. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. <laughs> so on that note, what about if I start talking about who's coming next year for undergrad and what we look for, why they're coming here, and then David can jump in and talk about the MPS mm-hmm. program. That would be awesome. Right. Yeah. yeah sure. So many of you may know on the undergraduate landscape, but especially here in the United States, when you combine economics and business, it's the most popular major. Yeah. yeah. There's, so there's a high demand. Mm-hmm. Here at the undergraduate program, we take less than 3% of our applicants because the demand is so high. Wow. So and so it is very, to get into Harvard or Stanford, easier than you can get into the undergraduate program at Dyson. As I earlier stated, we are going to take a class of about 90 students. In that particular class, about 48% of them will be female of the incoming class, Mm -hmm. with 52% men. About 8% are international students. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at underrepresented minorities, we have a large population of about 30% or so. And And that depends on who yield. But the real question becomes who's coming beyond the demographics. Mm-hmm. What we look for in students, and very similar to um, even the NPS program, is we want students who are thinkers and are going to invest in lifelong and life-wide learning. Mm-hmm. We want them to have rigorous analytical skills. And then the other big attribute is integrative thinkers. So how do you take your theory, your analytical skills, and use it to solve problems? That's mm-hmm. very important. In addition, when we're thinking about Dyson students coming here, we want students who are going to use their economics and business acumen to make a world a better place. Mm -hmm. And so we do say that our world is a better place. That's our business here. Yeah. And uh, uh, Dr. Walton, you joined Dyson last year, right? Yep. So this will be your first. (laughs) This will be my first. First class. Mm -hmm. Yep. This will be my first class. 
David, what about on the NPS side? What is it looking like? So on the NPS side, we, we're still we're still in the last stages of figuring out who's going to be here. This runs a little bit later than uh, most grad applications. I should say the the research side degrees. But uh, we had about 250 applicants, and we we are looking for a class of about 35. I'd say when you look at the the class itself, it skews slightly female. Uh, if we're if we're talking about uh, gender. We have preponderance of them are international students. I'd say probably about about two-thirds of those who show up, maybe a little bit more, are international. We have strong cohort of, of domestic students as well. Probably about uh, 10 of those, maybe a little bit more, are interested in doing something along the lines of behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty similar number are interested in uh, behavioral marketing. Mm. Small number of students interested in behavior and sustainability. And then there's a, a smattering of students looking at environmental and energy issues mm-hmm. or food and agricultural economics uh, or, or development economics in general. Mm-hmm. I, if you think about, you know, what are we looking for when we pull out an application and, you know, who, who do we want? Who's our <laughs> ideal student? Yeah. Um, you know, we tend to look for students who are, are uh, you know, Maybe they're straight out of undergraduate, but they've had some internship experience, or maybe Mm. they've had one or two years of of professional experience. But primarily, we're looking for people who are are really going to be creative in the ways they apply the tools that they get here. Mm. I guess that's not too far different from what Lynn said about undergraduates. But that that creative spark is something that we we really look for, and it sort of bleeds through the the statements we read um, Mm. just about everywhere. So you do need to have... You know, good grades to get in, a decent GRE or GMAT, but uh, but really, it's the individual, right? It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's what you build in yourself, um, in terms of your your view and how you how you can apply the tools you get. Mm, yeah, just a quick note: MPS stands for Master of Professional Studies. Yes, and it's a very um, it's uh, it's tailored for people who's a more uh, driven to go to the real world, apply their skills afterwards. That's right. So, yeah. so these are master students who are not planning on going to, you know, to be researchers somewhere or, or um, go on for a PhD. They want to go out into business and, mm. uh, and, and make a difference out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that both of you mentioned something about the, um, the, uh, uh, the portion of like female students, the, the portion for female students that we enrolled in. So I just wonder, how do we factor, how do we uh, put diversity factor into the admission process? So um, I'll start again, and then David can add is, is that, <laughs> yeah, so this is a woman leading, right? Yeah. <laughs> Here at Cornell and many universities, we do a holistic review. And our review is thinking about what type of class we want to build. And we want people with diverse backgrounds and diverse interests. And so we look at the whole landscape and think about everything from international, the gender, to areas of concentration, to where you come from, the dynastic United States, to what does your personal statement speak to what you want to do. And really, we look at it across the pool, focusing more on what your interests are. And then once we focus on the interests and your academic background and decide who's the final cup, it is shaping the class. Um, I think David and I truly believe that diversity happens on multiple dimensions Mm -hmm. and it adds and enriches the learning experience. Mm. 
So to echo that, I, it's an interesting challenge um, in our graduate program. And I, I've, uh, so at the top of the show, you, you call me the director of graduate studies. I actually just ceased being the director of graduate studies uh, about a year ago. I direct our MPS program still. Mm-hmm. But when you look at our, our graduate programs, um, our traditional lines of interest in environmental and resource economics and development economics, we, we haven't struggled very much, uh, at least not since I've been here, with gender diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a, a, a very strong pool of applicants from, from both male and female. Mm-hmm. Where, where we struggle <laughs> is domestic minorities. We, we have a very hard time recruiting uh, domestic minorities. It's not to say we haven't uh, been able to do that, but really it seems like that effort needs to be in, in terms of going out and generating interest in the program, mm-hmm. actually visiting, uh, you know, students, undergraduate students at uh, programs at different schools around the mm-hmm. country and, and trying to get them interested in this as an option. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you know, some are not aware of it, but, uh, but also just even communicating, yeah, you'd be welcome here. And so the field of business and applied economics, when we think about making it more diverse, it echoes what David said, first building a pipeline. So building a mm. pipeline across the world, getting high school students from diverse backgrounds to think about what does it mean to have a career in business and economics beyond yeah. being the next yeah. um, you know, founder of Facebook or <laughs> a CEO, yeah. right? Hey, what does it yeah. mean? Because yeah. many high schools will say, I know I want to be a physician. I know I want to be an engineer. I know I want to be an attorney here in the United States, mm-hmm. but what does it mean to say I want to be an applied e- econ- economist and what I'm going to do? And then what classes did, should I take in high school? What school should I apply to for undergrad? What's the pathway to get a degree such as an MPS? Mm. And so it is getting the word out there. It's doing what we call pipeline programs. Mm-hmm. And then having students have a vision and a map about how they can achieve goals. And so depending on the degree and where you look across business and economic, their pop for diversity. Um, on the side of PhD students, David, nationwide, what's the gender demographics like there? Is it 50-50? It's, yeah, it's not 50-50. Uh, so for economics in general, it skews male. It skews, uh, you know, pretty solidly male, not not overwhelmingly, but it's pretty solidly male. It, it's, uh, I think it's something like 20 to 30% are female, if I remember correctly. When you narrow down to degrees that focus on environmental resource economics or other things like that, you get a little bit of a different yeah. gender mix. Mm-hmm. The, uh, when, when you start talking about racial minorities, then there's a huge problem in economics, yeah. right? I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you look across STEM fields, anything that you might classify as STEM you get rates that are, are pretty reasonable, something I, on the order of 10 to 20 percent. Mm-hmm. You look at economics, it's something on like a fraction of a percent. Mm-hmm. So there's a specific problem with economics in trying to recruit racial minorities in the U.S. And, and I don't know that everybody's unpacked what that is yet. Right. And where are they going if they're not going to economics? Who, who's our competitor? <laughs> right. Are they going into the, the other aspects of STEM maybe? I, I was talking to one faculty member who pointed out even even pure mathematics does a, a very decent job, right. and, and we don't, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, I, I think it definitely makes sense when you mentioned the pipeline program. I think people, the informations are mutual directions, going du- mutual directions. And then uh, people have to know what their options are. Right. Um, and so they can make the choice based on what they look up to. Yeah. Uh, if they have more models that's uh, in the in their successful in the business world, in the economic, economic uh, field, then probably students will have more exposure. They will they will have someone they can look up to and know the pathway to go there. I was just wonder when we think about people who they can look up to, like what's the situation for the business world? I, I know you have a PhD from uh, in a business administration. You must um, have a lot of insights about the importance of female leadership in organizations. Well, when you look at CEOs across the world, there are very few women CEOs. And if you even go to the next level, what we call the C-suite. So if you're looking at professions now where women are at least in the undergrad major 40%, what's happening to them? Mm. If they're graduating with degrees and at least business Mm. and in some disciplines of economics. And when David was talking, I was thinking about for both fields, they're what we call the pink collar disciplines where you see more women. So I tend to be in the organizational behavior. You see more women. Like you say, what's one of the economic fields where you see more women? Uh, so there, there used to be a field of textile economics, yeah. <laughs> completely dominated by women. Um, I, I, I will say so. A lot of the conferences I go to are, are nutrition-based conferences, and it's I, I'll be the only male in the right, room. So nutrition, tech. Some of the ones that came out of the home economics, human ecology mm. disciplines, what yes. we call the pink-collar professions. But the skills to be in C-suite or to be leading a think tank or a leading economist, the question is what's happening to women? Because they're starting those entry-level jobs on an equal parity. Mm. And then what we have found is people call it the leaky pipeline. Mm. Some of them exit the industry. And you and I are going to talk later on about the mommy tax. So do they exit the industry and give up? Mm. Or is it that they're not getting the next promotion and they're thinking about alternative paths? Mm. And we have several young people in the room, and that's one of the things that I challenge you <laughs> to think about what's the future of ensuring that there is a great pool of women and that we kind of put a stop to this leaky pipeline so women are advancing. So they might make it to the lower level management role and then management, but the C-suite. And you see it in all industries. Even you think nonprofit, you would see it more. Government. And so, but you don't see, you know, look at the government, our officials. How many women do you see? And part of my research looks at, are there barriers? Is it the mommy tax? Is it that organizations aren't supportive of women Mm -hmm. and creating friendly cultures of mentoring and helping them balance work and family? We we just don't know what's going on. Oh, and uh, uh, last time, I think you also also, uh, mentioned glass cliff that's a new concept to yeah, me that's a new concept and i've been thinking about the glass cliff this week so my i would one third of my research looks at how people lead in a crisis and crisis leadership the theory that my colleague erica james and i have developed is to really survive in a crisis you have to move beyond reactive to engage in organizational learning and to make organizational change behaviors and when the Facebook crisis came up, mm. before we saw Mark Zuckerberg, who did you notice we saw? We saw Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah. That's right. She was leading the speaking. So the glass cliff theory is when women and underrepresented minorities 
get into the C-suite or become CEOs, they get stuck with organizations that are in crisis, organizations that are underperforming, that are really doing bad. And then they become the representative of those companies and are expected to solve the problem. And I kept on wondering, why are we seeing Sheryl Sandberg? Has she be- <laughs> is she another example of the glass cliff? Mm-hmm. The other example when I'm often talking is I talk about Marissa Mayer, mm-hmm. who was given the Yahoo role. And yeah. all of us knew. I mean, how was she going to turn around Yahoo and compete with Google? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, 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 she's amazing, but she had a hard job. Yeah. And so uh, another one is, is that the chief operating officer of Starbucks is an African-American woman. You've been seeing her featured in the news with Starbucks dealing the scandal. And I'm really intrigued and in working on an article right now is... Why are women and underrepresented minorities stuck with managing the crises? How do they even get appointed that role? Mm. And what are the advantages and disadvantages to their career? Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're being put in really risky positions, yep. right? I, I, uh, it'd be interesting to figure out exactly how that happens. I, I, I wonder if, I mean, I wonder if there isn't some discrimination in thinking about risky roles versus non. What do we do? <laughs> Women as satirists, and we think they can do it all. So what women CEOs come to our, our mind? I think uh, Pepsi has a woman CEO. She seems to be doing a fabulous job. Yes. Xerox had a woman CEO for mm-hmm. a while. But, you know, that was an industry in general that had challenges. But what other women CEO come to our mind across the globe? Not many. Mm. Are these women in the C-suite? Is that to do, is there something to do with expectations for, as you mentioned, of expect people uh especially uh, women, to do it all, like balance work and life and then be the... The be, hero. Yeah, be the, the problem. That's true. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. They even talk about in government, women inherit a lot, even high-level government, some of the research that started the glass clip. Mm-hmm. And so if you can ma- imagine an image of you're launched into the C-suite of a corporation and you're standing on the glass cliff because you're always managing crisis. Mm-hmm. And are you being set up to fail? <laughs> I gotta think of something yeah. more optimistic. Right <laughs> yeah, but I'm definitely looking forward to see what comes out from your research yeah. and see the result. I learned this game from um, a podcast, uh, The Indicator. Uh, they have a professor, Tyler Cohen, started to rate America. They just rate random things like ketchup, overrated or underrated. So it's it's okay. kind of fun. So you have what, five or six questions or ten? Yeah, I'm ready. I, have, I have five, six. So we can start it with the easy one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how would you rate it Dyson student? Oh, Dyson students? Yeah. Dyson students are underrated right? <laughs> they, because people, they're so extraordinary. They just don't, you know, and, and they're humble. They're hardworking. And I do believe they're going to change the world. Well, all the employers, you should listen to this. <laughs> Smart, <laughs> analytical, yeah. Yeah. Um, and another one, the how would you rate underrated or overrated? The importance of going to a business school. Once again, I have to say it's underrated. There are some people who don't take a business education serious, our science and our engineering Mm -hmm. friends. And the skill set that business education gives you, other disciplines don't. Everybody's going to run a business, a musician, a Mm. physician, an engineer, a politician. And there are just so many investments in the business education. How do you think about the economics of an organization? How people make decisions? The marketing and the accounting mm-hmm. are important skills. 
Yeah, it's, business could be a very broad concept. It's a broad pathway. Um, yeah. At Cornell here, we have 2,500 students who are minoring in business because it, they're realizing uh, it's an important skill set. Yeah. And how often do we see uh, students seeking an MPS degree because they didn't get the business education right. they needed? <laughs> and, um, David, you make an excellent point about business being underrated. I don't sell business to everybody for an undergrad major. I just ask you to pick up one business degree. And so the MPS is a great pathway. You know, you can major in psychology or biotech or something and then come get an MPS degree. Mm, that's true. And uh, the next one, PISA. Pizza? <laughs> so... <laughs> That's how you survive <laughs> examining. I know, that is how you survive. So I was up until last week thinking pizza's overrated. And then I discovered this Franco pizza place here in Ethica. And I had the, um, and people were shaking it. I had like the white garlic. It was, and it, it was so good. It was so good that I decided that once again, pizza, you can get a lot of food groups in at one time. That's, that's right. Right. And so if you get the thin slice, I'm still into my carbs. So I'm going to say it used to be overrated, but after having that slice of pizza, I'm back to underrated. Yeah, do a good. Lot of, yeah. good. You're, David, you're in about, upstate New York, so you yeah. have to say that, right? Right. <laughs> now, has anybody had Franco's pizza? No. no. Oh, you can try it. Put it on your bucket yes. list. Ithaca? Yes. It's on State Street. Oh, okay. Gotta okay. try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The next one comes is big cities. Now, big cities, I definitely think are overrated. <laughs> I love college towns such as Ithaca, where there's a sense of community, there's less traffic, but you still have the amenities of the arts and the intellectual thing. I just love small towns and because I think there's more of a sense of community. Mm-hmm. You can always visit a big city, but there's something about living in a small town, especially college towns, are my passion. Mm-hmm. And I think the next one is very uh, obvious after this conversation today, uh, gender diversity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can frame this in another way. Gender diversity in economics and business. Yeah. I think it's underrated, but it's getting on our radar. It's funny. It's it's gender diversity and it's inclusiveness and respect. Mm. You know, when I was preparing for this podcast today... I still, women make 82 cents for every dollar a man makes. Mm-hmm. Why is that? NPR did a story today about how Chinese companies use women as symbols to advertise. You can go come work at our tech company and be with cool guys. <laughs> I mean, what are we saying about gender to the next generation of women? Mm-hmm. And I think they were using Alibaba as one of the examples. I have to look up that NPR um, show. Mm-hmm. We have to be more mindful and intentional mm-hmm. about how we get more women in the pipeline, ensure they're promoted, and make sure they have inclusive and safe work environments mm. that respect them. Yeah, it's definitely an ongoing topic. It is an ongoing issue. topic. Yeah. Uh, all right. I feel like I'm obligated to say today um, that this episode where <laughs> it's designated to promote our program, Dyson School, um, is a great opportunity, so everyone should come. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that's all the time we have today. Um, thank you so much, Dean Wooten, for joining us today. And thank you, Dr. Just, for sharing all the admission <laughs> information with us. Um, are, are you an incoming class at Cornell? We're super excited to get to know you. This podcast was brought to you by a group of professional master's students at the Dyson School. Interested to learn more? Follow us on our website, Twitter, or just simply email us at madhateconn at gmail.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned.